everybody. Welcome to Northview Online. It's wonderful to have you join us this morning. We're kicking it off this morning with praise and worship. I saw an awesome quote this week that I thought I would share with you guys. It says that the best way to dethrone a power or principality is not to yell at the devil, but rather to enthrone Jesus, who is the greatest power and the greatest principality upon our praise. One of the best ways that we can show God that we trust in him is to worship him through difficult situations. So that's what we're doing this morning. We invite you to join in right where you are in the praise of our awesome God this morning.
Good morning, Norfew, and blessings to you and your family. We're grateful that you've uh, signed in with us again this morning, and uh, we hope the morning is well worth, a, worth your time and a blessing to you. Um, this morning, we've got a neat opportunity. We came off of last week uh, with the words, wait patiently. And I'm sure some of us uh, have done well with that or are doing well with that, and some of us, it's much more of a struggle. None of our situations are the same. None of us uh, have the same setting or background, and uh, we don't all have the same family settings. And so uh, some of us, uh, it's going to be much harder than others. But no matter how it is uh, for us here, imagine if you're a missionary. Imagine if you're in some part of the world, and not only is there no way to get home, you can't get home. You can't fly out. There's no way 
to leave your circumstances where you are. How would you adjust to that? How would you wait patiently for the Lord if you were in that situation? Well, this morning we get a chance to find out. We get a chance to hear that because our very own Scott and Noel Hardaway, who have been called to Papua New Guinea, uh, are going to be sharing with us this morning. Scott came to us back in 2014 uh, in some tragic circumstances. Uh, His wife, Tanya, had passed and uh, he was alone with two boys, and we took him in. We made him our own. In the course of time, God brought Noel in his life, and uh, Noel and he met, fell in love. I was privileged to do their marriage counseling together, and so watched that all happen. And then they were called to Papua New Guinea, a unique place in Papua New Guinea, the Finisterre Mountain Range, which is a mountain range about 50 to 70 miles long and about 20 miles wide. And it's populated by dozens and dozens and dozens of tribes that have never been exposed to the gospel. And Scott and Noel were passionate that God wanted them to go and help be part of a team that would reach those people. Well, their journey has been anything but straight. That was five years ago. They have yet to get to Papua New Guinea. And this morning, they're going to share some of the details of that journey and that venture with us this morning. So, Uh, Buckle on your seatbelts, and uh, we're going to turn it over to Scott and Noel. Hi, good morning. It is so good to be with you here this morning. We are thankful for the technology that allows us to do that. But, you know, I got to be honest, we were pretty bummed that we can't be with you in person. That was our plan. But, of course, everyone's plans are changing these days. Um, We've been based in Phoenix the last year or so, preparing to serve God in Papua New Guinea, an island nation just north of Australia. But Northview's our home, and we were going to be making a trip up to the Northwest to finish raising financial support and say goodbye to all of our good friends and family. Many of you pray for us, and we just love and appreciate you so much. So we were really looking forward to being with you. Hopefully we can still see you in person before we leave for the mission field, but we'll just have to leave that in God's capable hands. Uh, A lot has been happening with us the last six months, especially. In November, we switched mission agencies, and that's a whole story that I'm not going to get into this morning. But if you want to know more about that, you can talk with Pastor Steve or the elders or the mission team as we were in constant communication with them through that process. So we're still going to Papua New Guinea, but now it's with World Gospel Mission. And We have a new ministry. We're going to be working at a Bible college there, equipping national pastors and their families to lead churches that transform communities. And I'll be talking about that more this morning, but let's start out by opening God's word together. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And as you find that passage, Ephesians 3, I want to ask, what drives you? What drives you? I was a pastor for 12 years, and I had to step out of that role when my first wife passed away from cancer. And God eventually led me to Noel and and called us both to serve him in Papua New Guinea. But even before all that, there's something that has always weighed heavy on my heart and, and continues even to this day. And that is a desire to spark passion in the lives of people, and, and specifically passion for God. Now, we have yet to see what the spiritual impact of the coronavirus pandemic is going to be around the world. Church buildings are vacant. 
but there is vibrant community being built online. Throughout history, the church has always been at its best when circumstances are at their worst. Times of crisis give us new opportunities to love people, bless people, care for people, serve people, shine the light of Jesus in this dark world. And my prayer has been that God would use the desperation and fear of our present times to call the world to himself, to make them realize that they need an anchor for their souls, a shelter from the storm, a rock to cling to that can't be shaken, to make us all recognize how small and weak we are, how fragile our lives are, and just how much we need saving. And my prayer for the church has been that God would use this pandemic to wake us up from our stupor, to bring us to our knees and repent of our self-reliance, our self-satisfaction, and our self-righteousness. To remember that we need God too, just as much as the lost world around us. I pray that our desperation would make us desperate for him the discomfort of our restricted lives would make us seek our comfort in him. I'm praying for passion. Truthfully, we are primed for revival if we will allow God to revive us. And I pray we do because, boy, do we need it. I'm sure we're all aware over the last several decades, church attendance is declining, churches are closing, Our kids are growing up and turning away from God. The culture is moving more and more away from Christian values and ideas. And and when I talk to people, they tell me things like, you know, I do my best. I go to church and sing the songs. I try to pray, try not to cuss. But somehow it's not really enough. I don't feel the passion. I don't experience the power of God in my life, when you get right down to it, I'm not sure I know him. Because if I knew him, wouldn't my life have more peace than worry? More hope than sorrow? More gratitude than regret? I mean, shouldn't I feel different, think different, act different, be different? See, there's something crucial that lots of us are missing. And and this thing is the key that unlocks real passion in our hearts. What I would like to present to you this morning is a truly radical idea that I believe has the power to change all this. And, And the idea is this. We need to see God for who he is. We need to see God for who he is. See, the problem is that when we talk about God, I believe, most of us have a picture not of the God of the Bible, but actually a God of our own creation, a composite of the pictures of God that we've gleaned from movies and picture books and ideas that our parents just put in our minds, things we've heard or read, all the stuff that our culture has just handed us. You know, we keep what we like, we discard the stuff we don't, and then we fashion a picture of God for ourselves based on what we would like God to be. 
And I want to take just a second here. Let the magnitude of that sink in. Because if I'm right, if we're worshiping a God of our own creation, then it means we're actually worshiping the wrong God. And we desperately need to see God for who he is. Now, this isn't just my own idea. There are other people out there saying this too. Francis Chan wrote in his book, Crazy Love, the core problem isn't the fact that we're lukewarm, half-hearted, or stagnant Christians. The crux of it all is why we are this way. And it is because we have an inaccurate view of God. David Platt, in his book, Radical, says, we are molding Jesus into our image. He's beginning to look a lot like us, because after all, that's whom we are most comfortable with. And the danger now is that When we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands and worship, we may not actually be worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Now, I understand this might be a tough pill to swallow, but doesn't it bring some of the mysteries of life into focus? How else do we understand why we have more passion about the Seahawks than the God who created the entire universe? How else are we to explain why we have more hope in government than God to solve this crisis? What other reason exists for our fear, except that we're trusting more in our job than in our God to provide for us? See, our deepest need is to see God for who he is. How do we do that? We need to let the Bible tell us who God is. And and our entry point for that today is Ephesians chapter 3. Now, remember, Paul is writing uh, this this book of the Bible in the first century, shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus, a few decades. And in this passage, Paul's been talking about a mystery. In verse 5, he says, This mystery was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. This is the mystery, that God has joined together Jews and non-Jews through the gospel. Members together, it says, of one body, sharers together in the promises in Christ Jesus. Now, this section of scripture is just packed, and I'm not going to have time this morning to unpack all of it, but there are a couple items that I do want to kind of pull out. And the first one is this, that the gospel is just part of a larger mystery. The gospel is just a part of a larger mystery. See, One of the problems is that we are completely fixated on ourselves. Our ministries, our budget, our attendance, our worship, our activities, our effort, our work. We go to church, the preacher tells us what we should do about our problems, our money, our families, our self-esteem, our questions, our relationships. We are fixated on ourselves And we assume that God is fixated on us too. We've created a a, a people-focused God 
instead of striving to become God-focused people. So when we talk about the gospel, we do it in a way that's completely us Focus. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I get to go to heaven when I die. That's the gospel message. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I and I want to say, no, 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 that's not it. We're missing it. First of all, the gospel is actually much bigger than that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But second of all, the Christian life, the Christian faith is bigger than the gospel. The gospel is just a part of a larger mystery. Now, it's an important part, crucially, but it's just a part. See, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. The gospel, therefore, is a means to an end. It's a tool. It's a thing that God used to achieve something bigger and greater and more significant, which was uniting Israel and the rest of the nations on earth. Now, when I say that, you might yawn inside. Uniting Gentiles with Israel, who cares about that? I mean, that used to be my reaction when I would read this passage, because I've been taught my whole life to think like an American evangelical, where it's all about me. But Paul says, this Mystery is something that is bigger than the gospel. The gospel is just one part of the mystery, bringing Israel and the rest of the nations on earth together. Let's read on, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel. Now, that's worth stopping and thinking about. Have you ever thought about yourself as a servant of the gospel? Not a, not a recipient or a beneficiary of the gospel, but a servant. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me. What grace? The opportunity to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of of this mystery. When was the last time we celebrated God's grace that gives us the privilege of sharing Christ with other people? Paul did. Do Do you see the celebration? Do you see the passion? Do you see the humility, the joy? Safe to say, most of us do not recognize this privilege. 61% of regular church attenders have never shared their faith with another person in their whole lives. Nearly half of practicing Christians in the millennial generation say that telling people about Jesus is actually wrong. So, again, there's something that's not lining up with the way that we look at things, the way we tend to look at things, and the way the Bible looks at things. And and I'm just trying to get us to see that here. Okay, back to verse 9. Paul's talking about the mystery again. He says, This mystery for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Because, you see, God knew this mystery. He knew it from the beginning of time. and, And he was keeping it a secret. It was all part of his strategy. He sat on it. and He waited 
until just the right moment in history to, to bring it out. And now Paul's job is to make plain to everyone how this mystery works. So here's the second big idea that I want to pull out of this passage, which is that the mystery is just part of a larger intent. So the gospel is part of a larger mystery. The mystery is just part of a larger intent. In other words, God didn't keep the secret just for fun, just to have a secret. He had a specific intent behind the mystery. Verse 10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, God wanted to show off. He wanted to to point at us, to point at his, his church, his bride, and for the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms to go, whoa, that is so incredible. God, God, you are unbelievably wise. You have, you have manifold wisdom. Manifold means lots of different kinds. It's not twofold or threefold. It's manifold, multifaceted, multidimensional. So, so God points at the church and the, the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly realms, which means the angels and the other heavenly beings that God's created, they can look at the church and see that, that God is wise in, in this way and in this way and in this way and in this way. He's wise for this reason and this reason and this reason and this reason. In fact, the wisdom of God is, is a many splendored thing, constantly unfolding new expressions of beauty. And the way that that happens is through his church. We, you, you and I, we are exhibit A for proving the manifold wisdom of God. It, it's a staggering thought, isn't it? The church becomes the thing that angels can look at to see just how wise God is. So, so that's the intent behind the mystery, which the gospel is just one part of. So this is so much bigger than I get to go to heaven when I die. But, but number three, that intent is just one part of something even bigger, which is God's eternal purpose. And now we're finally getting to the heart of things. See, all of this was done, verse 11, according to God's eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What is God's eternal purpose? To save me from my sins? To take me to heaven when I die? No, that is so small. That is so small. There is something bigger. See, see, sin was not part of God's original design for us. He didn't create the world sinful. He created it perfect, and it was ruined by sin. So what was God after before sin came on the scene? What does God always wanted. What is his eternal purpose? And for that, we've got to go to Genesis 1 and 2. These are the only two chapters in the Old Testament where sin is not present. And then in a few minutes, we're also going to take a look at Revelation 21 and 22, which are the only chapters in the New Testament where sin is not present because it's been overcome. It's been conquered. So you see the Bible begins with two chapters of no sin, and it ends with two chapters 
of no sin. And as you'll see, it's very important for understanding his unchanging eternal purpose, which is what everything in the middle is actually about because he has never let go of it. See, we we start in the wrong place. We start with this world is a mess and God sent Jesus to fix it. But God created the world not in need of salvation. God created the world not a mess. Before sin made a mess of things, there was something else beating in his heart that he wanted. By him, for him, through him, to him. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. and He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. What is God's eternal purpose? That he would be able to dwell with us, in us, through us. That he would be able to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship of love with creatures that he made in his image. God's eternal purpose, what he has wanted from eternity past to eternity future, is to love us. Because God is love, and love always seeks an object. What an incredible honor for us that that God would look at us this way. What, What amazing love that would continue to pursue us even after we rejected him. I mean, can we start to see that proclaiming the gospel really is a privilege and not a duty or a burden? Take a peek with me briefly at the end of history, Revelation 21. The apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Can you picture it? I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. It is a picture of the love of God with no limitations, no restrictions, because there's no sin. There's no more of God trying to figure out how to draw us or woo us. No more biding his time until he can finally obtain what he's been pursuing all these years, because he will finally have it. He will have a perfect, spotless, blameless, radiant bride with whom to dwell. He will make his home with us, in us, through us. There will be absolute perfect harmony and love. This is what drives the heart of God. It's why God is concerned about the whole world, the nations, not just Israel, and certainly not just you and me as individuals. He calls all of us to something bigger, something bigger. And you see, this is where history is moving. This will happen. The the promises of God are unalterable. There is no promise God has ever made that he has failed to keep. God will get what God wants. I can't stop him. You can't stop him. Sin can't stop him. Satan cannot stop him. Hell cannot stop him. Nothing, no one anywhere can stop God from achieving his eternal purpose. We can't stop him. We can only decide whether we will be with him or against him. What drives your heart? What drives your heart? if it's anything other than a vision of the greatness, the majesty, the splendor of an infinite God, his blinding glory, his unconquerable kingdom, his inexhaustible love, if you're driven by something else, I can tell you why you're unsatisfied. You need to seek God. The basic problem in the church in America today is theology. David Platt says, we've concocted a nice middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationships so that he receives all of our affection. A Jesus who's fine with nominal devotion that doesn't infringe on our comforts because After all, he loves us just the way we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Francis Chan says, we see God as a benevolent being who is satisfied when people manage to fit him into their lives in some small way. We forget 
that God never had an identity crisis. He knows that he's great and deserves to be the center of our lives. See, this is what I've been dying for the church in America to grasp, what I've been longing for people to recognize, to to catch a vision of the greatness of our infinite God, infinite. Because this is the heart of our passion problem. It's not a a fault of God's. It's not a failure on his part. It's not that he's not great enough. He is. He is great enough. It's our ability to see him for who he is. So maybe you're saying, okay, I I can see the problem, but, but I still can't quite see God for who he is. How do I get there? And if that's you, then what I want to encourage you to do, number one, as soon as this this service is over, as soon as we wrap this up and conclude and you close your, your screen, you go somewhere alone by yourself with your Bible and you pray and you pray and, and you beg God to ask, to, to, you beg God to show you a vision of who he is. You ask him, you plead with him, and you say, God, I want to know you. I want to know more of you. I need to see more of you. And you read your Bible asking God to show you who he is, and you look for him in the pages of Scripture, not expecting to find what you already think, but expecting God to show you something new. I've also put together a list of books that have been vital for me in my journey. These may be helpful to you. I don't know. You can jot these titles down. Take a look at them. If any of them are on your shelves, pull them off and read through them again. Talk with Pastor Steve. I'm sure he would love to help you walk on this journey. But you got to see God for who he is. We've got to. And as much as we need revival in America, I can tell you that the condition of the church in Papua New Guinea is even more dire. And and we saw this, Noel and I, we saw this firsthand when we we visited there a couple summers ago. There is widespread confusion, not even about who God is, but even just the basics of the gospel. There's a lot of prosperity gospel teaching, salvation by works. And and despite a Christian veneer and centuries of missionary activity in the country, 90% of the population still practices magic and ancestor worship. See, they also need to see God for who he is. They need to catch a greatness, an idea of his greatness, so that they're not relying on these these superstitions and these things that hold them in fear and bondage. They need to see God for who he is so he can set them free. And, you know, for pastors, there's very little training or Bible instruction that's even available. Only a handful of Christian books or reference materials are available in Pidgin, which is the main language that they speak. So lots of pastors are discouraged and ill-equipped to lead their churches 
And in fact, when we were on that trip and we saw all that, we resolved then that whatever else we might do in Papua New Guinea, we were going to invest in pastors and churches to encourage them and equip them and strengthen them to do effective ministry. So we were thrilled when God led us to our new agency, WGM. We're going to be working at a Bible college in Papua New Guinea that trains national pastors. And we really believe that education is the key. Uh, Papua New Guinea ranks 136 out of 165 countries uh, when they're ranked in corruption. So it's not a surprise that lots of money earmarked for education just vanishes, resulting in empty schools, absent teachers, non-existent school administration. PNG actually has the lowest school enrollment rate in the entire Asia-Pacific region. And, and that affects the local church then, of course, because the average pastor only has a fifth grade education. And as far as preparation for ministry, he has no training, no resources, no mentors, no guidance, and no accountability. So in lots of cases, there are pastors who are not really pastors in a biblical sense. They're not qualified. And they're leading churches that aren't actually churches because they're filled with Christians who aren't Christians because the gospel isn't the gospel. They're not preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're not teaching who God really is. And these are the problems that Christian Union Bible College exists to solve. So uh, later, there's, there's going to be an online Q&A, and Noel and I will be sharing more about this ministry uh, with our, what our specific roles are going to be and how the school goes about the task of equipping pastors to lead churches that transform the communities of Papua New Guinea. So we want to invite you to, to hop on that. And Pastor Steve will give you information about, uh, about how to do that, uh, the online Q&A, live Q&A with us this afternoon. But, you know, because the gospel isn't just about getting people saved for heaven. I mean, people do get saved for heaven through the gospel, and that's important. But, but the gospel is about so much more than that. It is about completely transforming people families, churches, villages, communities, entire societies. It's about bringing the nations into God's eternal purpose. So up on the screen there, there's uh, contact information for us. I want to encourage you to email us. Uh, uh, we send out a, a monthly prayer email newsletter. If you don't currently receive that and you would like to be praying for us, each month, we would uh, love to have you join that. Just shoot us an email and let us know that you want to sign up for that. We'd be happy to, to add you to that. We also have, have our WGM uh, website up there that uh, our mission agency hosts for us. But we also have our own website where we uh, have a blog. And I've been uh, blogging lately a lot about this coronavirus and uh, kind of the impact, the opportunities that it has for us. So I encourage you to go read and check that out. Uh, and just... Then as we close, I want to come back to the vision of the pure, spotless bride in Revelation 21. Because, because that's what drives the heart of God. It's, it's the reason that he created anything in the first place. And it's the reason that he sent Jesus to fix creation after we went and messed it all up with our sin. And it's why he wants every nation on earth represented in his kingdom, and it's why he's called us to Papua New Guinea to bring about the vision of Revelation 21, the church, the church, the perfected 
church that God's angels marvel over. Because that is what God has been after all along. And verse 11 of Ephesians 3 says it's already done. He's already accomplished his eternal purpose. He's just waiting to finally receive what he's got coming to him. This is what drives God. So what is it that drives you? Stop working, even when I don't see it, you're working. He 
Thank you, Esther, and the team for leading us in worship and uh, deeply appreciate the efforts you put in the week behind the scenes that nobody else sees it, so we're grateful for that. This morning, we have a chance to do something different. Uh, the last few weeks, our pattern has been to have questions and then uh, prayer points, but this morning, we're actually going to be able to have a Zoom conference with Scott and Noel. One of their desires was that they would be able to visit with Norfew and see their friends again. Their great hope was to get up here and uh, visit with us, but obviously that's not working out in our culture right now. So what we're going to do instead is a Zoom conference. The Zoom number was sent out in the e-news this week. If you did not get that and you would like to be part of the Zoom conference, then <clears throat> uh, email frontdesk uh, at nview.org and we will send you out that number. And then also Rob will be the moderator I'll be there, but Rob knows how to run this. They do it all the time with youth group. And so we're going to ask you to be on, mute your phones or your computers, and then uh, we'll have chances to ask questions. You'll actually have a chance to preload questions for that. So we're going to have a chance to visit for 30 or 40 minutes with Scott and Noel and get caught up on more of a personal basis. So we hope that'll be really fun. And then the prayer points for the morning, you'll be able to uh, see them again, or again, go to the website and download them. But they will be uh, these. Uh, the first one will be, let's pray for Scott and Noel. Obviously, it's going to be extremely challenging for them to figure out how to get to Papua New Guinea in the next six to eight months, and whether they could even actually get there. Uh, they're in North Carolina right now, and it seems like that's where they're going to have to stay. Uh, so if you were in those circumstances, I think you'd understand. Let's, let's pray for them. Number two, let's remember our other missionaries. The Baileys are in Cambodia. Uh, we have the Bordners uh, over in Slovenia. We've got the Lunds who just came back from South Africa. They're actually here in Lake Stevens, and we hope to hear from them in the near future. Uh, but they are trying to figure out next steps as well. And so a lot of our missionaries are really up against some trying circumstances, and we'd like to be able to lift them up. And then third will be just the local ministries that we support in the area. We've got Everett Gospel Mission. We've got Helping Hands. We've got Healing Hearts. We've got all these different ministries uh, that we you can find those again on the website. And uh, let's just lift our missions and missionaries up this Sunday. All right, thank you. We'll see you here at the Zoom conference in just a second.